0: Welcome, welcome. This is My Recovery, part of the much-loved family. My name is David, and I'm an addict. Today's episode will be a powerful one. We have a man whose message is strong, and he gives it without sugarcoating it, without fluff. He does it clearly and truthfully. He is someone I hold in high regard and someone that has truly had an impact on my recovery. Let's listen to his story, his experience, strength, and hope. My friend, Nate.
1: My name is Nate, and I'm an addict. You know, uh, what a wonderful life that I live today because of Narcotics Anonymous. You know, I'm here to, I'm gonna tell you my story. Um, <clears throat> you know, coming up as a as a kid, you know, I uh I realized that I had a whole lot of tendencies as a child before I picked up my first drug. You know, I, I remember my mom used to send me to the store and and since we was poor, you know, I would, like, steal the kerosene and keep the money because, you know, um, I would lie. I remember that I was, like, be going to um speakeasy or the little liquor house in, in the neighborhood. And I would uh remember getting it for my mom because the guy knew my mom. He would give it to me as a little kid, and I would— go home and the first thing I would do, I would like to lick the wrapper up of the uh, of the four roses, wine, alcohol, or whatever it was. You know, and you know, I, I came from a um a family man that, you know, two by the foot, two by the headboard, me and my sisters and my brother but we was happy, you know, my mom was an alcoholic, and as I look back in my life, my mom was an alcoholic, and mom did what the alcoholic did, she drank, and along with that came arguments between her and my stepfather, and fights, and various things that went on, in an alcohol-fueled environment, you know, and, um uh, and that actually that led to her demise. Uh she wound up having a brain stroke um, from drinking. I don't know, I was a twelve year old kid, so I really don't know the the details of all that that went on about that, you know, and uh and she wanted to pass when I was twelve, you know, um from a brain stroke, as I said, and and I had to go up real quick. You know, I lost my childhood. At times, I really want to go back and live a childhood all over again, and but I can't. And and through the years, I've looked for women in my life to replace my mom, but I've never found that. So when in doing that, I um, I always seem to have to have more than one woman because, see, drugs was a, a disease. I mean a part of my problem, but I realized that I had other issues. You know, I I had, I never could have more, um, just one of anything. I had to have more than one woman. You know, uh, I lied because I said my mom was the best mom. You know, I had to protect myself and, and from who I was, and I had to bring about this hard exterior because the hard exterior kept people away from me. And I didn't, that was my defense that mechanism for not letting people get close to me, you know? And I, and this introspection is only through doing, working the steps. And in the program of Alchard's Anonymous, I was able to look at these things and realize those things that went on in my life. <clears throat> and those things made me who I am today. You know, the men in my life at that time always had more than one woman, or they cheated on um, the women that they was they were with. So I thought that was a cool thing, you know, so um and I felt like if I had a lot of girlfriends, everybody would like me. So that's what I did. And I realized that doing that, I always ran away from me. I never dealt with my the emotional part of my aspect of my life. And um because it one left me I always had somebody else. I never dealt with the pain, the abandonment, the um the separation, or, or just people just leaving me out of my life, you know. So I came up, you know, on and you know, going to school, and I joined the football team, and all the guys on the football team, you know, um, they got high. And um, I remember my first experience on really getting high. Uh, they took us out to this other high school and went to this party, and and I uh, I smoked weed for the first time and. And I drunk some Bush Bavarian beer. Looking back, I realized that I had, I was an addict because they had to take me home that first night. You know, um, I couldn't even stay to the dance because I drank more than anybody else. Um, and so, you know, um, and, and just to skip a little bit farther past that, I remember when uh, I was playing football, uh, But I always wanted to hang with, we had a group of guys and we all hung together and they called us the players. Uh, Mostly because of a dance group, not because everybody was a player. Um, And we all hung together and we had a real tight relationship with one another. And they became became my family because I really didn't have nobody but my brother. My two sisters had moved to New Jersey at that particular point in time and uh, it was just me and my brother against all odds. And during that, you know, one night this this girl who was from California in the dance group, the player, she, uh, she was older than all of us and she was from California, and she had some cocaine. So we all snorted cocaine for the first time around about 17. And, and right after that, the next day we said that we was going to all meet at the gym so we could um, run it off. But at that particular point in time, nobody showed up but me and my brother. And there was this other group of guys who wanted to be like us or hated us for some particular reason, for whatever it was, I don't know. Well, um, let me back up a little while. Let me back up for a minute. Because um, even though I was a high school football star, I hung with the guys and, and I could get in the games free after I graduated, but I was with the guys and we used to always hit the fence and, and um get into the games because nobody had no money. And after one of the games, we um we started these fights. It was kinda like well, I grew up it was just like a white and black thing and and if the um white guys caught you in their neighborhood, they beat you up and they we caught them in our neighborhoods, we beat them up. So we had these fights after these games and um and then this other high school threatened us not to come to the next game. Of course, nobody threatened RHS. And so we went to the next game at Doe Campbell Stadium. And after that game, we fought everybody we've seen, every white person we seen, you know, after the game. And they launched an investigation, and I wound up with six robberies and, um, and four aggravated batteries. And I was facing like 140 some odd years in prison. Um, and it all stemmed from getting high and drinking and stuff like that. And uh, so move forward back to what I was just talking about, about the first time snoring cocaine. Remember My brother, brother went to the gym to run it off. And, and one of the guys who was there with his group of guys that he hung with, but he has turned state evidence against us stating that he's seen everything and use um but he didn't but anyway during the basketball game him and my brother got into a, a little skirmish and I broke that up and laid on in the game. You know, I was driving to the to the basket to do a layup and he hit me. And my brother hit him. You know, and this was December tenth, nineteen seventy six, I'll never forget it And when my brother hit him, he spent around the fellow in the back of his head and he died Christmas Day nineteen seventy six. Um there go drugs again in my life. But I still could not see that drugs was a, a major roadblock to the life that I wanted to live. Because, you know, at that time I was in, um, I was attending Florida a University. And just so happened on my 18th birthday, I got arrested on Florida a campus. And, um, I remember me and my brother was smoking a joint going to school that morning. And, um, but they said when they arrested me that I had one joint in my briefcase, and which I didn't, but that's a whole nother story. And um, so I got charged with uh, possession of marijuana. And um, of course they tried to give me all those charges, but you know, it was just like youth, youth eyewitness kills, um, youth gang kills, state eyewitness before testifying in court. And uh, I was a big thing, and everybody thought that me and my brother was the bad guys. But they didn't realize that their kids, you know, was right along with us in in that whole endeavor. And uh, so, anyway, they wind up getting me in the county jail for one joint because the judge said that college students was not going to run his his city. I don't understand that. would never have understood that. But so I it sense me. They dropped all the other charges because they had no no eyewitness or any testimony to say that we did that. and um, So I wanted to serve him like about four months because I went back and it got time reduced. And um, and, I, and I remember that the guy who just so happened that died, um, his family stayed about two blocks from us and it was just only me and my brother uh, family wise and you know our blood sticking in water and regardless of what the courts say, you know, they um it was more than that. So we decided that we were going to move to New Jersey where our sisters was, So we wanted to move to New Jersey. Another geographical relocation. And I wound up going to Jersey and um I did what I always did. You know why I wound up getting involved in the marijuana business, selling and getting high and everything that went along with it. And eventually graduated to crack cocaine. Well, not crack At first it was like free basin. And at first, when I first did, I didn't like it. and um. But then I had a guy, you know, but this guy stayed right, right across the street from me. He was a big cocaine dealer and he's always trying to invite me over. He's come by weed from us, but I, I really didn't was interested in that. First time I went over, I didn't like it. Then I guess about a month or so went by, and I went back over, and I fell in love. I fell in love with the drug of my choice, and my life spiraled out of control from that point on. You know, um, I had various different jobs, and but one of them was uh, I remember most of all was I was a correction officer. Uh, for the state of New Jersey, and and I wind up on Thursday nights. All the guys who, you know, do um, affirmative action, we all got jobs at the prisons, and uh, we always get together on Thursday nights, and all get high because we got paid on Thursdays. And I worked eleven to seven shift, and that wasn't a good thing, and because I was get high all day and try to go to work from eleven to seven at night. And I remember this one incident. This guy came in. He, had, he I let him on, on the tier, and then he had the key to let me in to go down and do the count. And um, I went down to do the count, and I pushed the button, and I sat down and fell asleep. You know, at this particular point in time, you know, people were, inmates was killing prison guards in New Jersey at that time. And by the grace of God, it just wasn't my time. So after that, you know, internal affairs got involved and this and that. And some other things came about where I had lied about a situation where I got arrested for buying some weed one day and I used my brother's name. And they came back and they, uh, they told me the resign is they, they going to fire me. So I resigned. Now mind you, by me, um, Giving my brother's name, that that uh, deterred my brother from being a correction officer because he had a, a possession charge on his record. And uh, that bothered me for a long time. Still bothered me today that I did that. But you know, through the disease of addiction, I was always ha- had an angle, I always had to be hip slick and cool, I always thought I was uh, one foot ahead of everybody else. but up not being one to put ahead everybody else I was always one one step backwards and um so spar- the, the drugs spare a lot of control you know I I wind up going through that scenario what we hear about in life like be careful on the people or the people that just um step on on the way up because the same people you're gonna see on the way back down. I remember went from from being that I thought um, middle class to wanting to be in no class. Um, disease took me from from that high, high spot to being homeless, and I. Uh, you know, I, I remember my first time that uh, when I lost everything, I remember sleeping outside behind this. Um, floor shop. like 20, 30 degrees at night, you know, cold as hell, but that was not a deterrent from stop getting high. You know, I, I remember in New Jersey at that time, going to detox, you had to say you was an alcoholic. You couldn't say that you was an addict. and. Um, I tried the various attempts at that. You know, I thought I was hopeless. I thought I would never be able to stop using crack cocaine. Um, I remember I tried the crazy route, scratching my wrist, trying to uh, get into detox again because I was saying that I was crazy. Just didn't see any way out. I had no hope. Um, but it just came to the point after using for so many years, man, I uh, I found out about this place called, called Vol. Occasional rehabilitation, and um, I went and talked to the individual, and they told me they would put me in a hotel room until a bed became available at this treatment center, and um, it was up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and um, and I made that decision to leave, and I, I went to this treatment center. I didn't tell my brother I was going. I told a stepbrother brother of mine that I was going, I'm quite sure he probably relayed that information to my brother. But I, I went there and I decided not to go back to Trent, New Jersey. I stayed in Williamsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, landed, time forgot. A whole lot of addicts from big cities in a city that had a fish pond in the middle of the city and no traffic lights. And I was green as a bladed uh, grass. You know, because the other addicts who was there, were like the heroin addicts, who was more in Narcotics Anonymous at that time, you know, they thought we was crazy as crack addicts because they couldn't understand us and we really couldn't understand them. So it was a clash. And, um, but while I was there, you know, at this, this um, we had a guy's house and just like, 25 feet next door was the girl's house so it was just like fraternity rope there was no recovery we was just buying time no direction uh come to find out that the guy who was running the place was using heroin some of the guys who was that they was using heroin and um the place wound up getting to Spain so I went wanted up moving to Altoona Pennsylvania and uh I was involved with this relationship with this girl at that time, man. And I found out that she had did some craziness. And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, disease of addiction is a feeling disease also. And uh, I remember she um, supposedly had messed with this guy. So I wind up leaving Altoona, Pennsylvania, going back to Trenton, New Jersey, not to stay, with great intentions to go on to see my brother. But when I got off the train, you know, I, I did what an addict did. I had a pocket full of money, the first Michael Jordan, Ed Jordan jacket, a red satin jacket. You know, I, I, I'll tell you more about that. And I wound up spending all the money that I had, never seen my brother, and I sold the Michael Jordan jacket. You know, I got hot by any means necessary. And um, so. So I wound up getting on the train with no money, trying to get back to uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And just so happened this lady that I knew I had met who was counseling, gave some counseling, she wound up sending me the money, and I came back to Altoona, Pennsylvania. But I had already unleashed that beast again, you know, like to say, um, unlock that 800 pound gorilla. And I showed everybody in Altoona, Pennsylvania, how to crack, how to cook up crack cocaine, from cocaine, you know, crazy shit. And I wind up messing over a whole lot of people. Most of all, I messed over myself. Um, and I left Altoona, Pennsylvania, on a um, as an escape because the guy I was working for at that particular time, he. Um, they gave me an advance of some money, and I, I wind up, <laughs> you know what I did. I, I messed the money up, getting high, and I had no money to pay the place that I was living. So, But somehow or another, I, I, I scrounged up, up enough money to get a a, a bus ticket to Florida. And lo, lo and behold, did I know that I was going to Little Peru, when I got back to Florida, there was crack everywhere. You know, I need to have a jacket of all the cities that I went to, you know, that I survived. It's like the war on drugs, you know what I mean? I survived all those cities because, you know, by the grace of God, I didn't die, but I got into some crazy situations, man, that I don't see how I got out of them. So there was always a God looking after me. like footprints in the sand. He carried me when I couldn't carry myself. So I went from being a prison, caught in the state of Florida, going coming to Florida, you know, uh, being homeless and, uh, and doing a lot of crimes, and wound up going to prison in the state of Florida all from the disease of addiction, all from using drugs, you know. But you can, you know, just like we say in alcoholics now, we can't tell you when when you're an addict. You got to admit that you're an addict. And um, I definitely was an addict. And I did what addict did, and I got high by any means necessary. I um, wound up going to prison, got out. 'Cause when I was in prison everybody said that, you know, there was a they, they sold packs of dope and this and that and but when we got released everybody was packing the stem, they weren't selling the pack, they was lying. You know, prison is a whole nother environment. One that I won't wish on anybody. But I wound up getting out, getting into uh this work release center in Tampa because I decided not to go back to Tallahassee. Once again, tried geographical relocation, but I took me with me. And uh, and I remember being this, at this uh, treatment center here in Florida, I mean, um, halfway house in Florida, and in Tampa. And, you know, it was like two weeks before I got getting ready to get released. I thought it was a great idea to leave my job to go back to the facility to sign my release papers. But I thought it was a great idea to go by Central Park to get me a 20 to celebrate. Maybe about 24 hours later, I wind up with my dad taking me back to the treatment center, I me mean, uh, the work release center. And they immediately sent me to jail. And then the next morning I was back at Lake Butler. Then, you know, I did that little time and I got back out again and stopped by Tallahassee because that's where the bus from um, to tomorrow Prison, they stopped in Tallahassee to send you to various parts of Florida if you are in the panhandle. And I got with this guy that I used to get high with. We got high, ran out of money, came with a crazy, crazy idea of how we're going to get some money. Walmart had just opened up. So thought it was a great idea to go in Walmart snatch these people's stuff and run out of the store. I snatched the stuff, ran out of the store. People ran behind me. The guy who I was riding with pulled off and left me. So within 24 hours after I got out of prison, I was right back in the county jail. Then I got out of the county jail, got out of that situation, Came on back down back down to Tampa again and continued doing what I was doing. You know, and I wound up going back to prison again. You know, when he back in those days when CRD and press provisional release and all that was out, he really didn't do that much time. He just go and do a few months for a year and you'd be right back out. With no um Direction, they really didn't care at that time about how an addict um, any treatment or anything of that nature. Narcotics Anonymous meeting at that particular time in the, in the institutions was a was a joke. So once again, I got back out and um, I gave them that hot hundred dollars once again, and I did what the addict did. You know, came out of prison wearing a forty forty waist pants. And by the time the sun come up I'm, from getting high so much, the pants didn't fit no more. But I was back to running weight, you know, and um, and I got got high by enemy necessary, man. It, you know, when you think that you're at the bottom of um, or lowest you can go, there's always a trap door, you know. And I, I wind up um falling farther and farther and farther down those, that road, you know. I wind up being homeless once again, sleeping up under the bridge, eating at the dumpsters, sleeping in abandoned buildings, wearing a 45-pound soaking wet. Thought that looked good. You know, that's why, you know, in our Tsunami, we say we're the eyes and ears of each other. And, uh, cause we can see what an individual what the individual can see for themselves. And I'm grateful for that because that's how I learned to grow up in this process. Because people would tell me what they seen in me. You know, early on, I you say, man, you need to worry about yourself. Don't worry about me. But these people took time to care about me, to tell me what they seen about me. And that's the only way I was able to change. You know, um, but anyway, let me continue the story. So I wind up getting back out. And within a year, I had two, um, three possession charges one with intent to deliver, and then another one with intent to deliver and sell to an undercover agent, a police officer, within an eight month period. You know, I I remember going to the county jail this time and I was tired, you know, and I wanted something different. And I was tired of just sending me to prison, getting back with everybody, you know, um, and everybody was doing the same thing. Go back and you see the same people that you was in there with before. And I wanted to break that cycle, but I didn't know how to break that cycle. But my introduction to Lockhart Sinodom, the seeds had been planted many years ago, and I knew that there was a better way, but I was just trying to figure out how could I possibly do it? And I went and I was the county jail this time and I wrote every judge in Hillsborough County to let me get into the drug um, program. They said no. But the guard of my understanding looked out after me. You know, he, um, he gave me an opportunity. This judge gave me an opportunity to go to this therapeutic community Called data. and at that particular moment, after sitting in the county jail for about six or seven months, I remember asking the guy right beside me, who was getting who used to get high with me, what he think I should do. See, my thought process wasn't even right then, after being in, clean for seven months in jail. But anyway, I took the um, opportunity to go to therapeutic community and it changed my life. Um. It was in the hills of Ocala, and I, I'll never forget that place. That's where I, I stopped running for myself. That's when I stopped being afraid of who I was and accepted who I was. That's when I admitted that I was an addict and I could not use dope no more. Now, mind you now, I had a whole lot of character defects and shortcomings. So it was like a, a 115 men and maybe about 40 women. And they said no sex. It was an 18-month program, right? Yeah, a bunch of addicts together, and nobody can do nothing. So anyway, I I, I was seeking feelings from this individual girl, and they found out, and eventually I wanted to get kicked out. But I didn't run. See, there was nothing to stop me from going down that hill and hitting the highway. And going back out and continue to run, I, I stayed, and I waited for Marion County to come get me to their jail. And then Hillsborough came and got me from Marion County and brought me back to Hillsborough County. But while I was at this therapeutic community, um, when I told you I was seeking the feelings from the girl, I found out that my brother died. And my brother was one of the main reasons for me going to treatment uh, because I wanted to establish that relationship back with him. You know, God got a sense of humor, or things happen that I have no explanation about why. You know, my brother didn't get high anymore. He, um, matter of fact, I used to be his idol. He wanted to be in my idol. And, uh, but he wanted to die and play in basketball. It's kind of like I can never understood, understand that about this guy that died. Back in 1976, from having a fight on the basketball court. My brother wound up dying on the basketball court from having a heart attack playing basketball. I questioned that for a long period of time. Why? You know, but at that, when I was at that, there community when I heard that, you know, and uh, it was the first time that I really paid attention to the birds and, and, the sunsets and the sunrise. And because at that particular time I was on a, a learning experience in a compost pit, shoveling compost from one pit to the other for about a month. That was a great learning experience for me. I couldn't see it then, but it built character in me. Everything at that program was designed to give you, um, power and and strip it away from you see how you react, you know, whether you would run, whether you would face yourself for. And I faced myself. I didn't run. But anyway, by the time, when I got back to uh, Hillsborough County, um, with my brother passing, he had left me some money. And, um, I remember this guy telling me on the way back to, uh, to the jail from the court one day, he said, "Man, I know an attorney that would represent you. And, uh, and then when you get your money, she would get her money. So I tried, I tried that. See, everything was set up for me. All I had to do was follow directions. And because uh, when I first met her with her, she told me I can get you in this outpatient treatment center. But I know that me being who I was, if I had all that money, and I got into the outpatient treatment center. I was going to do the same thing all over again. So I decided to go into this, this another treatment center, a six-month treatment center. And um, I went. And man, it was like night and day from the treatment center that I came from to the one I was at. It was like everybody wanted to run around hollering D-block and wasn't nobody serious about recovery. And, and um, I remember this counselor. He said that um, he wanted me to get in the red chair. Mind you, nothing—not not because of something I did wrong. He just wanted people to tell me about me. I think he seen something in me that I didn't see in myself, and that wasn't a an, an awakening um, when people tell you something about yourself, and you can't do nothing back to them, no matter how. Or what they said. So actually I wound up completing that program. But while I was there at that program, I wound up coming in one day and there was this electrical company inside the place and they was hiring. So I went in and they hired me and and um that was another great decision. See, things were lined up for me, I just couldn't understand how they were lining up, but they was lined up for me for a reason because there was a God looking after me when I couldn't look after myself. And um And today I, I run my own electrical company. Amazing, right? When you take the use of drugs out of the way and the world opened up to you. You know? Um But while I was working for that company, they laid me off twice, and um, and I was tired of that. Man, I had I had bought a home, and I couldn't call the mortgage company and tell them I could not make no payment to them because <clears throat> the people that laid me off, or I was waiting on the unemployment check, and I just got tired of that. So I went into business for myself. You know, it's like fear, fuck everything, and run. Or face everything and recover. I chose to face everything and recover. And I prayed, man, and I worked hard. You know, uh, while other people were sleeping, I was, you know, crawling up underneath somebody's house or crawling through an attic and putting things together because I wanted something. I wanted something different than what I had. You know, I wanted to make a life myself, but <clears throat> and I know things wasn't gonna be easy and they weren't. But when I got out of that treat, the second treatment center, man, I got involved in Narcotics Anonymous and I got in um I came a, a member of this home group called Radical Recovery in Tampa. And that's still my home group today. You know, but when I first came around, I man, there was guys that you you know used to <clears throat> tell me things, put me to the side, cared enough about me, like I said, to tell me about me. And um, I finally opened up to the how of the fellowship, the honesty, the open-mindedness, and the willingness. And I started working on me and started taking a look at why I kept turning right instead of turning left, or well, why I kept turning left instead of turning right, why well, I kept running to walls, you know? Why well, I kept doing the same stupid shit over and over again, expecting different results, but I kept getting the same results, jails in and institutions, jails in and institutions. They told me that I had to buy into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Narcotics Anonymous is a way of life instead of something that just come to get my paper signed. So I got in the the back pocket of some guys, man, and and let them guide me and let them show me the way. Best decision I made is to come back, get back into the program of Narcotics Anonymous and live this way of life. You know, um, Since I've been in the program, man, there's so so much death in my family, man. I'm the oldest surviving member of my family, you know. Mom gone, dad gone, brother gone, sister gone, stepbrothers gone, nephews and gone. And I get alone. I get lonely sometimes. You know, even though I know a lot of people in the program of Narcotics Anonymous, I, I'm, I'm still that loner. You know, um, I realized that when my brother left, I felt like a part of me went with him. A lot of times, I don't feel like I should have the things that I have because. My brother should have had those things, you know. At one point in time, I want to um, barter with God to give me my brother back. But that ain't how it goes. I don't know nobody who died and come back, you know. And me using wasn't going to bring him back neither. I realized that. So, man, I kept struggling. Kept falling on my knees, but like the guys in the fellowship would pull me back up and help me through situations. They helped me with stuff like uh paying their bills and child support. Even though my my daughter's mom wasn't um doing anything with the money for my child. They told me, Don't worry about that and they just pay. Do your part. Do what you're supposed to do. And I did that. You know, so I got involved with well, H&I early on, got involved in some subcommittees, got involved with doing service work on the regional level as, as well as the area level, and it changed my life. Because I reached out and started caring about other people more than I cared about myself. Started trying to be a part of something instead of being um, just a me type situation. Decided to let a God of my understanding guide my life instead of me trying to guide my life. I'm not God, so I think I let him. And when I did that, man, my life, when I stopped using drugs, man, it stopped working on me. See, it's more than just about stop using. It's about working on yourself and and um, dealing with the issues that is within. See, because the things that I seek are not outside of me; they were inside of me. The answers that I seek was inside of me. I had to stop putting my stock in uh, what people perceived of me, and start accepting me for who I was. Because, as I was telling you earlier, I ran away from me all my life. And I'm grateful that I did that. And I got a sponsor. Got involved in doing step work. You know, and uh, I met a lot of people along this journey. And my idols are the ones that have went on to the bitter ends, you know, and got their eternal medallion at the end. I have this thing about People dying in the fellowship. You know, I'll go to a funeral. My personal belief, I'll go to a funeral if a person went on to the video end and got an eternal medallion. But I have a problem with going to funerals with people who die from the heart's disease disease. Because it goes against everything that I believe in today. I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but that's just my belief. That's just how I feel. You know, um, my life today, man, is beyond my wildest dreams. And, you know, I never would have believed that an addict like me, who wouldn't pay $50 for a room because I thought that in a few might get high. You know? And for all the things that I went through, to buying a home, paying off the house. See, I'm the first person in my family that had bought a home. I mean, pay it off the home. You know, I, it always uh, amused me when people say I'm a homeowner. But if you pay in the bank, you ain't a no homeowner. You, you in the bank own the home together. You know, I don't know why they got that question there on the on the application. Do you own a home? Do you rent a home? Um, but if you rent it from the bank, you don't own it. So I'm proud of that, man. I know my mom, and my brother, and my dad, and all of them would be proud of me. You know, I actually believe that they're looking over me from wherever they are, heaven or no one really truly knows. So it's a wonderful life to have today, man, by surrendering. The only way you can get an Anonymous, synonymous way of life is you got to surrender to win. And I ain't know how to surrender. I thought surrendering would mean that I, I was weak, I was soft, but it's Okay. To surrender. It's okay to be hip to be square. You know, um I've met a lot of wonderful people since I've been here, man. And a lot of guys that I look up to. I don't put nobody in the pedestal knockhocks anonymous. See, because they told me that ain't nothing that they were doing that I couldn't do. So Take the inside journey. Take a look at yourself. Find out about yourself. And you know, buy a book. You bought houses and cars for the, the dope dealer. Take an investment and make it in your life. You know, turn your life around. It's possible for a plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage. You know, thanks for allowing me mean, to share, David. You know, um, uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. It's always an honor to do anything but narcotics anonymous because this program saved my life. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Nate. I, I am so appreciative that, that you've done this. Uh, I knew you would have a powerful message. Um, for me personally, uh, when we were in meetings, uh, you scared me. You, you, you were very, what I thought was abrasive, but I, I've come to learn that it's because you care. It's because you appreciate this way of life and you want others to get it as well. So I I, I thank you again for sharing. This is the second part of the episode where where I have some questions from family, friends, and both people inside and outside recovery. So what are some of the common myths and misconceptions about addiction in your opinion?
1: You know, one thing about addiction is that I don't know, I think society is more geared to hearing stuff like um, AA because AA is so acceptable, you know, um, because everybody drinks. Um, and I still feel today that the myth about it. the addiction part is that some people are taken aback about how could you, why can not you just do Nancy Reagan, just say no. Why couldn't you just have willpower? Well people don't understand. Once you cross that fine line, you you know, once you become a pickle, you can't go back to being a cucumber.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and um, won't you just have one drink? See, when I have one drink, I take off. Everybody, off to the races. Yeah, everybody else go home and go to sleep, and I'm uh, a week later or, or until I get silver bracelets put on my arms. <laughs> you know, I can't stop. So you know, um, people got the misconception that. You know, I thought it was a down in the gutter attic. You know, but I had a sponsor told me go home, look in the mirror, and you'll see what the attic looked like.
0: Mm-hmm. That's deep. Yeah. You you've been living this way for a long time. On um, I think it's what twenty seven years.
1: October eleventh be twenty seven years.
0: So, what have you found challenging to do clean? something that you know you used to do before and then you did it during your addiction and now that you're living the way, you know this way clean you know what 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 have you found challenging to do clean you know is it going to a dance is it you know being on a a, a boat is it you know what what would be something challenging for you to do clean today that is something that you know has affected you?
1: Well, early on, I remember that um, I, it, was, uh, it was an identity crisis because everything I did, I did getting high. And um, when I took the, the drugs away, um, some of the courage that I had went away. Um, I remember I used to go to the mall by myself and I felt very uncomfortable walking in the mall because I felt like I didn't have no self-esteem, you know. I had very low self-esteem. And, uh, but today I can go anywhere I want to go, you know, do anything I want to do. I'm no longer locked up in a one, two-square block radius as I used to be in my addiction. You know, um, I can go to the dance, but I had to get to a point where I, I felt comfortable. I had to, set some boundaries for myself. I can't be around people that use.
2: hmm
1: You know, I, I, me and clubs really don't have nothing in common. Um, you know, the same hustle that I had when I was out there in my addiction, I just brought it into recovery and changed it to a better way, a, into another manner. And I still hustle today in my business. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to me today staying clean than it was for me getting high. Really? It was a job getting high. I mean, it was an everyday grind, you know. And
0: Worrying about the next one.
1: Worrying about the next one. I didn't have no money. How was I was going to get it, you know. But today, man, uh, I've learned some things how to save my money. You know, um, see, because when I got here, I had no credit. When did I had bad credit? I had no credit, <laughs> 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 you know. And when nobody gave me nothing, man. So I remember one buying about hundred fifty dollars TV and paying on that at this furniture company, and I went from there to where I'm at today with over eight hundred credit score. Nice, nice. You know?
0: And yeah, for me, going to movies that that was something hard because I, I, every time I saw a movie, I was high. So coming out of the treatment center that I was at when we were going to movies, I felt agitated. I I couldn't sit straight. But today I I can see movies. So I I see where being in recovery uh, allows you to build up so that those challenges that I had in early recovery you know i'm i'm still in early recovery but I, I i'm i'm getting there and i'm slowly starting to be able to do things that i did during my addiction traveling um, you know like i just said movies eating and, you know going out to nice meals because i did all these things high for so long that doing them clean i didn't know how to act I didn't know how to enjoy right. And now, you know, I'm 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 slowly getting to there. You know, I, I appreciate things like that more.
1: Right. One thing that I used to talk about early on when I got when I came into recovery was that I talked about it in the meetings because it was relevant. Um see because sex was went better with with drugs. And without the drugs, you know, my thought was how long would I last? Mm-hmm. Would I be able to please her? Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah, that's a great um, example.
1: You know, stuff like that, Yeah. You yep. know, that was weird. You yep. know what I mean? But I got past it. You know what I mean? It wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was, you know. But
0: yeah, we, we see that quite often. It's not always as big of a deal as we thought it would be. Right. That's. So one of the other pieces of the program that, that is, is, is central is finding your higher power. So what are some of the different approaches to, for you to finding a higher power? Some of your personal experiences connecting to one, you know, what, how did you get to that point? Did you come in with a, an understanding of a higher power or did that build, you know, during your addiction and then into recovery? Or was it work when you were in recovery to get there?
1: You know, when I was a kid, right, my mom used to always send me to church. And uh, you know, I see all these things, like you can be cast into the lake of fire, and um, if you do bad, or and, and I remember, because um, I stayed right across the street from the church, and I remember being in the basement, and that was one of the scariest places for me to be in the basement with the lights off in the church.
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: Purely petrified. And um, but listening to these these preachers and hearing stuff, you know, I became to feel like you know I was less than I would never be um, forgiven. Um, but I find out through coming through narcotics anonymous, I get a a God of my understanding, you know. And I talk to him just like I'm talking right now. Um, I found out that I have a God that has infinite chances you know, um, because if he only gave me one chance, I wouldn't be here today. I remember going to this flea market and this lady asked me, um, sir, would you like to buy this God box? And I said, that box is too small for my God. You know, cause I have more than one, t- I've been, been forgiven so many times, not one time, not two times, a hundred or, or more chances. Forgiving God, I found out that there's a loving God, an understanding God, a patient God. I have the the ability to either choose and believe in God or not. My anonymous don't force God on anybody. You know, it says a higher power. You know, whatever you believe in, even if it's a light switch, cutting on the water, or whatever, when you first get here, but we hoped.
0: A doorknob. That's right? the one Adorna. I kept hearing.
1: Yeah. It, it, we hope that you find a God of your understanding. Um, That's why in our Anonymous, we have no. Uh, when people talk about an individual God, we cut that off because this program was based on the other fellowship, the chapter to the agnostic, the atheist, anybody can recover,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, uh, in this program. And I just opened up, man, and, and and realized that I'm not God. And I didn't get myself through this. I didn't do this by myself. I did it with a program of my Anonymous and a God of my understanding. Now, how you get there, that's a personal decision. Mm-hmm. You know, can't nobody do it for you. I think the first three steps, can't nobody do it for you. Yep. You know, I came, came to, came to believe. You know, uh, that's a personal thing. And uh,
0: For me, I grew up in, I wouldn't say a religious household. It was just culturally. So uh, I'm Jewish and we grew up. With it being our culture, and not necessarily believing deeply in a a god, you know, it it was just you went through these steps, you you did what was expected, you know, you you had your bar mitzvah for me, you went to Sunday school, Um, these were things you just did, and, and you didn't have to believe in a god. At least it wasn't imparted on me, so. My first four years of recovery, I did it without an understanding of a higher power. And only recently, only actually since January, did I take someone's advice and I do something completely different for me. I hit my knees. He told me to hit your knees every morning and say your gratitude. You don't need to know what you're saying it to, just show gratitude. And I do that, and I'm slowly starting to to talk to something. And I, I don't exactly know what I'm talking to, but doing it makes me kind of believe that I'm talking to something, that there is a higher power for me. And it, it was such a struggle at first with the four years of recovery, doing the 12 steps to gloss over that not having a higher power. It was, it was very hard to just skip that part. It, it felt like I wasn't really doing the steps. I, I still did the step work. I still worked with my sponsor, but I, I kind of was missing a, a key ingredient. So now that I've started to build that, I think I have a new appreciation for the program, for the 12 steps. And it might be worthwhile for me to start from scratch again, do the steps again, but this time slowly having that higher power.
1: Right. Right. Have you completed all the steps? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look at it with a. That's why, you know, we suggest that you do the steps over and over and over, just like the onion, pulling the onion. First time you do the step work, you kind of like gloss over stuff. Mm-hmm. And the more you stay clean, the more you remember things. <laughs> um, it's like doors become open, like, damn.
0: I, I totally forgot I did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like,
1: <laughs> I remember uh, I had a... New Jersey, I wound up getting my retirement right, mm-hmm. and I smoked it up, you know what happened to I smoked it up, right, and mm-hmm. I remember I came to Florida, and and in recovery, I went back to New Jersey to get my retirement when I went there, and people said, you got that money a long time <laughs> 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 oh boy, I
0: tell you so Things uh, up again. so another one, and th- this one, I, I find a real good one, it, it's aha moments uh, the breakthroughs that that changed everything. You know, what was your, it sometimes comes when you hit your bottom. So you hit a certain point in your life and go, things must change. It's an aha moment. I I needed to make a change in my life. For me, it was getting caught. It was, I'm so... I'm in such despair over what I've caused others and the way that I feel right now. I never want to feel it again. And unfortunately, I did it again. So, you know, I, I, I've heard the sayings and I've heard you say it, that you're not a one key tag wonder. Mm-hmm. So neither am I. And, you know, it was a bottom that I hit and I had an aha moment. And it was the second one that 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 really took. And I've also had aha moments in recovery Mm -hmm. times where where the program has shined the light on things that traveling with my wife to a city and feeling the breeze on my face. Mm -hmm. That was an aha moment that my life is so much better than it was when I was using. So for you. You, can you give me an example of both an aha moment when you hit your bottom and life had to change? And then an aha moment that during recovery, that this way of life is worth living.
1: Right. My aha moment, man, was like, like I said, when I was at a therapeutic community and and I found out my, that my brother uh, has passed. I didn't find out through a phone call. I found out. On a learning experience, when I was talking about shoveling that compost from one pit to another, I was laying in the middle of the the, um, the dorm and someone called out my name and I knew it was my brother. Really? He had passed. And um, that's when I knew and I didn't leave that facility when I was on that learning experience. That's when I knew, uh-huh, you know, something got to change. Mm-hmm. You cannot continue to live this way of life. You cannot continue to live like this. There's more for you than uh, than what I was going through. I knew I was better. I knew I was different. I wanted something different. But it's just like praying to God and asking God for stuff, but ain't, but ain't willing to do the footwork. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I took that opportunity uh, at that facility Did this thing called a probe, and I um, I said, fuck it, what have I got to lose? I shared everything in that probe, every nasty, devious, conniving, uh, insidious, Anything that I ever possibly, that I could possibly think of at that particular point in my life, I shared it with a group of people. And I became free. I no longer mm-hmm. had to carry that burden with me mm-hmm. of of the secrets, you know, and I, and I look back at it, when people, the people who was in that facility, they didn't. And I really don't know, but three of the people of the people, the 145 people that was there when I was there, they're still clean today. Wow. The other aha, aha moment in recovery was that I remember going to, I was this addict that was locked in two block radius. And I felt like if I came out of this, that radius, I was like an alien. And I, and I think what it hit me was, was I was in Paris. Really? Yeah, like, damn. How'd yeah. I get here? How'd I get here? You know, this 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 guy was stuck. You know, what I mean, uh, eating at the dumpsters and sleeping on the bridges. And if somebody was on my piece of cardboard that was territorial. You had to get up, up my mm-hmm. fucking cardboard, you know. <laughs> and you know, and so like going to Hawaii. Yeah,
0: I've heard you talk about being in meetings on the beach in Hawaii. I,
1: you know, there was, there's this meeting called the Twelve Coconuts. You know, there's twelve coconut trees, and they had a meeting in, in the. In the middle of the 12 coconut. That's track. amazing. Yeah, as a man. So I, I was on the right track.
0: So, as far as when you came out, you know, one of the, the things that is in the 12 steps is making amends. And that's a lot for you, as well as sometimes for others. What was a challenge you faced in rebuilding trust with family, friends, people on the outside, if you will?
1: You know, early on in recovery, um, you know, my one of my biggest amends was to my brother. But I couldn't make him to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was gone. So they gave me a suggestion in the fellowship to go to his grave site. You know, I didn't write the letter. I just went to visit him every other year and put a medallion at his tombstone, put it down in the ground in front of the tombstone. There's a lot of them there now, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but because I felt g- remorse, shame, and guilt. And I felt like that's the only place I could go early on. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't deserving enough to go on a vacation. Um, deep, you know, um, that meant that I had to make, you know, uh, for so about the, f- the fifth or sixth year, I stopped going every other year. Cause I needed to live. Mm-hmm. And know? he'd want you to live. Yeah, he'd want me to live. Um, another amends. I felt like I made an amends, needed to make amends to my mom. So my mom was buried. And you know, back in the day, they did the tombstones and concrete. Okay. And concrete eventually fades. Mm-hmm. So I, I put a, a, a marble, Tombstone for my mom. That means that I'm making that. Then the other means that I go to uh, national cemetery in uh, Bushnell and talk to my dad from time to time. Memorial Day, Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. Those are means, you know. Um, There ain't too many family members I can make amends to. Other men's I don't go in people's stores and steal no more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I help somebody in recovery. You know, um, that's one of the biggest amends that I could possibly make. And the other amends is that, you know, when I was re- sent back to the Department of Correction, they all of a sudden I was a menace to society and it was, uh, sending me back to the Department of Correction. So I try to be a better human being. I try to, you know, like when I cut my yard, I'll go up and down the street and... You know, be a part of productive, Mm -hmm. constructive member of society again. Uh, Be responsible, man. Uh,
0: So people have seen you change.
1: Yeah, I've seen the change. You know, and I'm not so much worried about what other people see in me today. Um, What's important to me is that I have a relationship with my daughter and my grandkids. I got a second chance to be uh, a parent again with my grandkids. You know, I was just talking to my my daughter this morning about I need to take them somewhere before the summer's over with, and mm-hmm. if summer be school be right back in, and no yep. time soon. Yep. So we was talking this morning about doing something, uh, taking them somewhere. Be a you know be a productive member of, and do what a father is supposed to do, do what a grandfather is supposed to do, and there's nothing more touching than here, your, your grand your youngest grandkid papa.
0: Mm, 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 oh mm.
1: man you make him want to walk on air there you, you go know?
0: I mean ha- have you had anyone that knew you while you were using that still refuses to trust you
1: yeah I remember this this girl right up in Altoona Pennsylvania uh we used to go to church all the time and I remember I got baptized and me and her even I had to get baptized me and her would... um <clears throat> smoke a joint after mm-hmm. I got baptized, you know. I got baptized twice, you know. And I like I say, one is too many thousand, is never enough, enough, right. Um, but I got her involved in using crack, mm-hmm. church girl. And um, I got baptized to try to get her back the second time. Because mm-hmm. that the first time I got baptized in Tallahassee. And I, and I, I seen on Facebook, I Googled, you know, Put a name in, and, right. and bam, she popped up. And I sent a friend request, and she ain't <laughs> responding back. You know, yeah. and, uh, um, and I understood that that everybody that that you know don't come back. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but I have a whole lot of other people who i was associated with over the years who did, who didn't turn their back on me, and they're still a part of my life. But that one, I focused on it for about a year. But they told me to let it go. Yep. You know. I let it go. Let,
0: like what is the phrase? Let go and let God. That's right. Yeah. I mean I I could see where so this is one of the ones that doesn't hasn't allowed you to to make amends It not receptive to it so it, it just gets stuck in your head and then you obsess over it because that's one of the things as addicts that we never get over is obsessive thinking so once it's like a record that keeps playing over and over with that same scratch it's it's hard to get out of that groove
1: right instead of focused on the people who are receptive we exactly. focus on the one that is not receptive
0: absolutely And yeah. you know for me it, i i was fortunate to make amends to my family, I mm-hmm. uh, and I still get a sense of, you know, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but you get that that butterfly in your chest and, and that warm feeling when my parents tell me that they they love me and are so proud of me when it comes time for my anniversary. Mm-hmm. That I you know that that's huge. You know, I, 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 I'm I so appreciative of that. And, and that kind of gets to the next one. It's the role of gratitude. Mm-hmm. So if one of the things, you know, like like I just mentioned, was hitting my knees and saying my gratitude. What has been the importance of gratitude in recovery, and how has it helped you to stay clean?
1: You know, gratitude for me, man, is real simple. It's like coming in the house, cutting the lights switch on. Going to the toilet and got toilet paper. Um, I got over a hundred pair of sneakers because I remember when I was out there. You know, I had a bicycle with no brakes, and I, remember I used to always stop with my my shoes, my sneakers, and I used to always have a hole underneath the bottom of them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, man, somewhere to stay. You know, somewhere where nobody can tell me to get the hell out of. You know, um. Being able to go to a meeting, man, and and carry the message that someone may hear a message of hope and a promise of freedom in any attic, lose desire and find a new way to live. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that has been bestowed upon me because um, I treasure my clean date greater than I treasure my birthday. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very mindful of that, man, and and I want everybody to be able to. Make this, but I know that many people are called, but few choose to stay.
0: No, nope. you know? unfortunately.
1: Unfortunately, and people are still dying from the heart of this disease. And I cannot pick in a meeting who won't make it, and who not can make it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've had a lot of sponsors over the years, and it bothers me that none of them made it a year. Wow, No, no. Yeah, I think yeah. for
0: for me and my sponsor, he said that I was the first one to complete the twelve steps. Right, I was. That's amazing to me. I mean, right. as long as you guys have been doing it, that I mean, the the disease is is so pervasive, and not not everyone not everyone gets it. One thing
1: I learned about recovery man is called consistency. Be consistent in whatever you do. Be open minded. To other people's thoughts and ideas. You know, I'll be sitting at a meeting and I share something. Then someone come behind me and share something. And I'll say, Damn, why are you smart ass and think of that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, but, but I know this. If you ain't got more clean time than me today, you won't have more clean time than me. Because I'm not giving up my clean time for nothing, no thing, no situation. Because anything that I thought I can get high over, I've experienced it.
0: You know? That's true. That's true. So You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm scared. I, I'm honestly scared about those things. And, you know, I, I know that the key is to stay with the people in recovery. It's in good times, it's easy to forget them. And if you don't have them set up when the bad times come, you don't have that support. All right. And... You know that that that's why I still, you know, I, I still go to meetings. I still am connected with my sponsor and my sponsee brothers. Um, you know, it's it's not as much as as I'd like it to be, but you know, life shows up sometimes, and you know, you do as much as you can. Um, so you you mentioned lose the desire to stop using. So this is kind of a practical issue. Do you, do you still have triggers and cravings?
1: No. I've I had a thrill with that you know, and um, and I know that if I pick up everything I've accomplished over the years, would be gone. I don't think I would survive, you know, because it'll be a fire sale after I spent up all the money that I've saved. See, because I don't have a four one k, I got an eight <laughs> k.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, because I'm a business for myself. So, um, and I'm proud of what I have. Saved up for my retirement. Um, and I don't know what I'll do in retirement, you
2: know, because <laughs>
1: I'm a workaholic. Um, but one thing the thing is about is about being humble, stay humble. Because I never want to act like I'm better than anybody. You know, I remember this guy told me a long time ago I I went to this meeting um, in Oax Detox on Nebraska and, and uh, Sly. And uh, this guy was in detox and he came up sat beside me and I got up and moved. He said, let me tell you something, you're no better than that guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When you think that you're better than the newcomer coming in the room, you're in a bad place. And I was stuck with me that I need to stay humble. You know, I like, I'll drive my truck better than I'll drive my Audi. Because it doesn't, that don't make me. no. You know, that don't make me today, you know. Uh, so I'll talk to any newcomer. I'll try to help any newcomer. If they want and show the willingness and the desire to change their life, I'll be there. I'll help. I'll pick up the phone when you call me. Mm-hmm. But I realize that everybody, I can't force this on nobody. Right. You know, they got to want it. I can't want it for more than they want it for themselves.
0: Unfortunately. You know. If it were that easy, we'd, we'd have a lot more recovering addicts. Yes, we would. So. When did that happen for you? When, when did you get to a point where you didn't fear a relapse, where, where you where the craving stopped?: You know, I, I,
1: I don't know where it stopped. Okay? I don't know when the obsession and the compulsion left, I can't put a time, I can't put a date. All I know is to I do my sincere prayer to the God of my understanding, it went away. And um and I have no fear of using. Um because I play the tape all the way through. You know. What's gonna
0: happen What's if I, I use? My,
1: I lose the love of my my the relationship I built with my daughter, my grandkids, uh my sister. Um see I don't focus so much on what other people are doing no more. I don't wear a shirt like I'm Mr. NA. No, I realize that other people do what other people do. When I go in a restaurant, people drink. Mm-hmm. I've had girlfriends over the years that they drink both out of dinner. It don't trigger nothing in me. Right. See, because I know that one is two million thousand many, thousand is enough, enough. I, that's yes, sir. ingrained in my brain. You know, um, if I be around, see, I don't even be around family members today. Uh, The ones that I do have here in Tampa, my cousins, because they're about that life. And they ain't about that life. Right. So we really don't have no relationship. Mm-hmm. I'll see them at a funeral or something like that, or a picnic or something like that. But other than that, nah, I ain't going to hang out with you. And I set boundaries for myself today. I set them early on, and now I'm, this is becoming ingrained. I don't, I don't want really to get high. I like my life today yeah without the use of door. you know
0: so it it just happened you don't know when don't know where
1: don't know where it just happened
0: i i i hope i i get there because you know some one my drug of choice was you know or one of my drugs of choice is is pot and they're everywhere now all There are stores that I I drove from North Tampa to South Tampa on Dale Mabry, and I counted thirteen dispensaries. (laughs) And it's going to become legal. Recreation is going to become legal. So, it it, and it's so yes, you can buy alcohol everywhere. So it's similar. So it's it's similar. If that was your drug of choice, that you're tempted by it, but man, do I smell. You don't smell alcohol, really. You you smell pot everywhere.
1: Now, I, when I went to Vegas on a bucket list trip because I wanted to see the, the Grand Canyon and the Hoover Dam, Vegas it's legal. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is show your ID that you're over a certain age, right? And you just buy it. People smoking it everywhere, and don't bother me. See, because I know where I come from. I know where the disease of addiction took me. You know. And
0: yeah, uh, when I'm I'm by myself and I smell it, I, I it it does trigger me. Uh-huh. The only time it doesn't is when if we're at a meeting and the, the tattoo shop beside us is smoking, when I've got the fellowship around me. Mm-hmm. So I I've I've got people with time and I feel a sense of calm. So I mean that and that that's another another point is the the role of fellowship in recovery and the importance of it. And, you know, something that I've learned and something that's been said is the meeting before and the meeting after the meeting can be right. just as important. Right. You know, you learn so much more about people and more practical points. Cause if you're in a meeting and it's kind of like the discussions we're having now. So in a meeting, you don't crosstalk. So there's not that exchange. There's not that discussion that happens. Discussion happens before and after the meetings. So, and I I know that the fellowship for you helped you understand yourself. Mm. And one of the things that I I keep hearing about is is there was this place, one of the first meeting places. Um, It was John Calvin. Right. And the way that the fellowship acted then, there was... The dog pound, there was dances, there was this all kind of romantic notion of recovery that I don't see. You know, I, I don't see that part of fellowship. What, what was that world like? Well, what
1: happened was, back in those days, everybody came to John Cabin on a Friday night. If you're celebrating clean time, uh, you did that. There wasn't all these meetings that we have now. There was no Brandon. Okay. There was no... Branding, there was no um, all these other meetings just pop up because of resentment and a coffee pot. People started meeting on the resentment the coffee pot, and they started a whole lot of meetings. But we had unity back in those days, mm-hmm. you know. I went to Frickner uh, just recently, and it wasn't the same.
0: Why? It, why do you think
1: God, that unity wasn't there? You know, like like it was back in the day. I. I don't understand. I don't know why. Um, Brandon thinks that they're different. Uh, we got the Ed Hardy meetings, we got the Starbucks meetings, and people think that they're better than. But people get high at all meetings. Every meeting you go to, there's somebody Yeah. Um That was
0: me for a while.
1: Right. I got high with everybody, whether you came from out of my neighborhood, you came into the neighborhood, and you wanted to look for some dope, but I'll get the dope and we get high together. I'm just the same way in recovery. You know, I like the meetings that that reminds me of me coming into the fellowship. That's why I go to 545 on a regular basis. Because mm-hmm. um, I think people pretend at the other meetings and they want to be all this in the bag of chips and the change, or they want to be a guru, or because they throw out the clean time all the time, and I've been around 35 years or 40 years, da, 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 and everything <laughs> that I say <laughs> is the gospel. No, it ain't. No. You're not just like me. Mm-hmm. You know, you do shit that that I don't do, but I may do some shit that you don't do. You know what I mean? But we all, when we come to a meeting, man, we all got our character defects and shortcomings, and there's things that we don't want people to find out that we do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think the fellowship is, it is what it is. I guess it's evolving and, and we're just microwave fellowship. Well,
0: where do you see it going? Not not in a good place. It doesn't seem like things are getting better. I, I wonder if, in the if there are if it's cyclic. So this has happened before and what happens is it comes straight back. And I I don't know the history that well to know if, you know, in the early seventies, if there was still that, you know, say it got uh, disconnected then, and then in the eighties, it got strong again. And, you know, I, I don't know how that works.
1: You know, they, they told me that Narcox Anonymous can't survive without me, but I can't survive without Narcox Anonymous. But I carry the message the way that I got it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's the only way I know how to carry it. And, uh, I, and I appreciate that. Right. I know that it's in the moment, in a meeting, because I was just sitting at what I was in here sharing this, this evening, this afternoon. It's not like how in the moment on a the, on the topic mm-hmm. or some people share something. And I share my experience, strength, and hope. I think it's different that way than it is telling the story. I think it's more better open discussion than it is telling the story. Telling the story, you get to know the individual and the things that they went through. But open discussion meetings are the shit to me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the hug is something else. You know, like I got a thing over there where it is. The circle of friends. Someone gave me that early on recovery. It's like some people holding around it. That's what Narcotics Anonymous is—the circle of friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, great thing that happened to me when I decided to allow it to happen. Right. You know, you can go to meetings. that don't mean that's gonna keep you clean. You know, you can know the readings back and forth. That don't mean it's gonna keep you clean. People come to meetings on a regular basis, but they don't change. And the mm-hmm. program requires active change of attitude and behaviors. Why still come somewhere when you ain't changing. You're doing the same thing over and over again, you know? why come to a program and you're not changing, but it requires change.
0: Doesn't make sense. No, no makes not make sense at all. So the last thing is looking ahead. You know the the bright future in recovery, you know beyond your wildest dreams um what's in it for you? you know do me a favor and and paint a picture of a bright future in recovery, the possibilities and rewards of clean time you know what where do you where do you want it to go?
1: man, I can tell you when I got here, I want the house, I want the car, I want the the girl I want the clothes. But I found out it's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Mm-hmm. It's the journey. Enjoy the journey. Um, I don't know where the destination is going to wind up being. All I know is by continue to take one step at a time. Don't get high. Be open minded to other people's thoughts and ideas. And the willingness to continue to work on myself. The 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 results are endless. Um, like I was talking about Paris and Hawaii and the Dominican Republic and Jamaica, those places that I've been for addicts like me, lived the life that I live.
0: Being able to take your grandkids somewhere yeah. before the end of the summer, yeah, that's beyond like, your wildest dreams.
1: I was getting high, there wouldn't be no money to nope. take, you know. what I mean, um.
0: And you wouldn't have that connection? You wouldn't be with them?
1: No. Um, I see it, man. Uh,
0: Did you see yourself being a grandfather? (laughs) No.
1: I didn't see myself living past past STEM. Uh, Sometimes I get overwhelmed, sometimes I have have to, sometimes, you know, in this journey, man, you've been around for so long, you have to pinch yourself and remind yourself from where you come from, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, one thing, man. But what I like to see, I, I like to see. I see when I came around, you had to have a year clean time in order to chair a meeting. Yeah. You had to know how to chair a meeting because chairing a meeting is very important. Uh, back when I came around, they would cut people off. Really? They wouldn't call on a person just because they raised their hand. No, you know today anybody
0: got me. and unfortunately and it's something that that I'm not sure you know I, I kind of look to you guys for the help because in our home group we we just decided that if you've just got some clean time you can share a meeting it's because we don't have people to chair a meeting right. so I don't know how it you find that balance you you need meeting you need the door open with meetings and you can't find people with clean time to chair. Right. What do you do?
1: I don't know that just like that guy uh, it was a guy that, uh, that I kept sharing with people. See people get caught up in their personalities. Uh, they want um, social acceptability you don't need a recovery. Mm-hmm. Just because the person say you want to chair meeting that just like one guy who was doing a 10 o'clock meeting, he wanted to the Dean at his job. You know, he didn't have enough clean time to even chair me meeting in the first place. Right. Um, and I shared that. They continued to let him do that and he wound up dying. Um, see, when I came around, people told you about your ass instead of your face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, that helped a lot. You see that now, all oh, people get offended. Yeah. How dare you say that about me? You know what I mean? Uh, if you ain't connected with this crew or that crew, you're not in the upper echelon of recovery. I ain't no fucking upper echelon. <laughs> you know, because when we come in the door, man, everybody puts with those titles to the side. Um don't, don't care
0: who you are, what your connections
1: were, what you did in the past. Or what job you got. You know, that shit don't mean that. Don't care about how much time you've been around. We're all on an equal footing when we hit that door. We're always covering that. Trying to stay clean one day at a time.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
0: but yeah. So I I I don't know how don't how know. you can chair a meeting. We we just there there was there was an issue where someone was unfortunately talking you know mentioning drugs by name, which is a no no, mm-hmm. and it kind of said that alcohol wasn't a drug. Which is, you know, we we literally say alcohol is a drug. Right. I mean, we literally say that for every meeting, right. and to her it wasn't, and she was chairing a meeting and said it. But we don't we don't have people to chair meetings, so I don't I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. It See, just doesn't feel right.
1: Right. See, we have a, a group of people who think it wasn't shit, mm-hmm. and. And they really don't have a lot of clean time. Um, and they make decisions based upon personality. See, but they told me that I had, to, we need to tell people what they need to hear instead of what they want to hear. But so many people get caught up into being socially acceptable, they won't tell a person what they really need to hear because they want to be socially acceptable, mm-hmm. they want to be liked. It ain't about being like this, by saving each other's ass, saving each other's lives. It ain't about, I can't tell you that because you might get offended. You know, a young girl, she just got a year clean and she be talking about she want to get high and she want to sabotage shit. Man, I just say, man, look, you can't be around nobody that's getting high. Then we they high and I know they sponsor know that they're they messing with somebody that's using but won't tell them that. Really? Yeah, because they want to be liked. Don't want to be on creating no ways. Shit. You couldn't come around to John Cabin back in the day without that bullshit. With that bullshit. No. I'm glad how I got, how it was when I got here. That's why I still feel the same way and carry the message the same way. I ain't about um, not offending nobody.
2: <laughs>
1: it ain't about that. It's about. Us living life one day at a time without the use of dope, And if your feelings get hurt, so be it. But
0: it's the truth. Yeah. So, man, I, I can't thank you enough for being here today and, and sharing what you have. It means so much to me to have you share from the heart. Again, thank you. I love you, man.
1: You're welcome, David. Thank you for having me.
0: And to those listening, much
1: love. Pfft. <laughs>